Hi everyone and welcome to Fast Charge. I am your host Dom and I'm joined this week by Lewis, Aniron and Toddy. Hello. Uh, so we are going to kick off with our review of the Samsung Galaxy S21. The embargo has literally just lifted, so reviews should be popping up everywhere. Ours is right here, live for you right now. <laughs> Toddy has spent the last week with the phone, so he has all his thoughts on the base S21 model. That's going to be what we're focusing on. I might talk a little bit about the Galaxy Buds Pro as well, because I've got them here. Uh, after that, we're going to move on to what's been a weirdly busy week for chipset announcements. Because we already knew MediaTek were about to announce uh, a flagship. They ended up announcing two flagships. Uh, but not to be outdone, Qualcomm also announced a completely surprise 8-series Snapdragon chip as well the day before. So we've got three flagship chipsets to talk about in a week where maybe we thought we would have one. Uh, and after that, we are going to turn to the kind of half-surprising news that LG is mooting leaving the smartphone business for good. I say half-surprising because there's... We had factors in play. We knew they were struggling, but equally, we also knew they have several big phones in the works, including the rollable we spoke about only recently. It's also odd because they literally just denied a report that they were considering leaving the smartphone industry, only to turn around two days later and say, yeah, we're actually thinking about leaving the smartphone industry. <laughs> Funny that. Uh, let's get to it, though. Toddy, I don't want to waste any more time before we get to this S21 review. So I guess let's just start with the top line. Is it any good? uh yes yes i'd say it is a solid phone it is you know uh, i think i mentioned this in the, in the past or, or use this terminology but you know the the galaxy s range has always kind of been like the default android option like google always wanted it to be the pixels that never came to be it was always samsung who was on the other side of the coin to the iphone basically and they've done enough to make that, like, ensure that again this year with the base Galaxy S21. We haven't gone hands-on with the S21 Plus or the Ultra um, as yet, but, yeah, for the kind of every man's Android phone that will keep you, like, you know, cover you for everything you'd want a phone to do for a year, two years, I think there's there's kind of no shame in picking up an S21. Uh, yeah, I think that, that, that sounds about right to a, where we kind of settled on it from last week. Mm. Um, I guess for anyone who wasn't following the launch super closely, I guess let's run through what are some of the big changes. I think the obvious headline one is it looks quite different. You've already shown it to the camera for those on YouTube, yeah. but the design has changed quite a lot. Yeah, this is the the kind of signature color of this generation. So like, you know, the Note 20 range had Mystic Bronze. Uh, this is the Phantom Violet, which I was the one I was excited about. I was told initially I was getting a black model or the Phantom Grey, I think it is. So I was pretty pleased when they sent me the crazy fun colored one. Mm -hmm. um, so it's a gold metal frame running around the edge of the phone and over the, the contour cut camera arrangement. So that is kind of like the signature element of this new design. Um, it makes the cameras look a lot more bombastic, a lot more interesting than the S20, yep. which had this kind of, we call it, I think Domino was like the, the generally settled on term for that kind of flat black camera, but it was pretty dull looking. Um, and I kind of opened my written review with how uninspiring that looked by comparison. Yeah. Um, that was a very then... functional... Oh, my camera's gone again. That was a yeah, very functional fine. design. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, this is a little bit more exciting in that regard. It's going to turn heads more. Um, and if you don't like this kind of pretty um, distinct purple-gold combo, then they do do a grey, they do a kind of silvery one but it's it's called white and then they have a pink one as well mm -hmm. um which is actually closer to the gold uh on this particular kind of shade of gold here which is hard to see in this light cool. um, but it kind of matches up with that quite nicely so it's almost like a peach pink 
um, from what we've seen anyway. Right. There's, uh, there's a couple of things I want to highlight on the design stuff mm. that I've been speaking to you about before. So first off, yeah. while we're on the, the camera contour cutout thing, one of the things you told me that surprised me is that it's actually not a seamless piece of metal from the frame to the camera module because I think everyone thinks it is. It's designed to look like it is, like the marketing material. Yeah, I, I went back and looked at like the renders and the kind of promotional video stuff, uh, all the all the graphical versions of the phone. That there is a seam line there, but it's so small and the phone's like flying around the screen so fast that you just you just you know your brain just cuts it out. Yeah. Um. Uh. So I thought they they would have milled or built this frame in one or or at least kind of this corner piece as a singular um, element. But what they've actually done. I don't know if the camera quality is good enough. No, probably not. Um, there is a slight seam line. So the frame kind of runs uh, along as it would on the rest of the bodywork. And then that camera arrangement is almost capped off mm. uh, onto the back of the phone. Um, so at a glance, it does look like a continuous piece of metal. It looks very luxurious because of that. Um, they've kind of also tried to hide it by having a different finish. So if you're looking at the camera module directly, it's almost like a sandblasted, slightly satined um finish on the camera surround whereas the frame of the phone is polished much like on the iphone 12 pro series um so that does also mean it's quite fingerprint fantastic um mm. around the edges uh and you don't get a case inbox um along with the, a charger and headphones you don't get any of that inbox that is one of the other things which was kind of telegraphed before the phone launch but yeah it's a nice small box that the phone comes in but that's because there's barely anything in it there's the phone there's the quick start guide and there's the sim ejection pin and that's it and a cable right USB cable? And a data cable, yeah, yep. sorry, that's important. <laughs> yeah. But it is USB-C to C, so if you haven't already got a laptop or a PD-style charger that can accommodate that, you'll also need to source a A to C for your, you know, conventional yep. uh, power adapters that you probably have from older phones. Yeah, so, so it the, depends. there is a real risk you buy this phone and then realize you can't charge it. Yes, I think that yes. won't apply to that many charger. people, but some people well, might buy this phone, get it home, and realize absolutely. they literally don't have any way in the house to charge it. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So yeah, it's. Uh, I think it's fine with the landscape that they made this move now, um, mm. but they need to make sure it's really clear in the marketing and at sale yeah. that it doesn't come with a charger. Um, I liked how Xiaomi did it in China, where they had the option of a charger at no extra cost. Mm. Um, I kind of wish like Samsung had done something like that, so they didn't, you know manufacture unnecessary charges and just had enough for demand but that's not how they're playing it i think in the uk the 25 watt travel adapter as they call it is 17 quid uh, so it's not a huge outlay to add in a charger if you don't have one and, and um, to be honest if you are going to buy one i i know there's often a tendency to buy the official one and i recognize that mm. but like there are third party chargers that will be oh, sure Bigger and better and, and faster. We'll maybe charge other devices as well, have more ports on them, we'll hit higher speeds so you can charge a laptop too. Uh, obviously, you've got to be careful and do your research and make sure you're buying from a legitimate brand that's it's not going to burn your house down. Um, but, you know, there are good third-party chargers and you can probably get one that's better than the Samsung one for less than that. Yeah, and this is because it also supports PD charging. I, I tested it with both a Samsung charger I had and a PD charger that was actually a 27-watt charger, yep. and it charged about the same. Like, it's yep. just going to cap at 25. That's just how it works. Cool. Um, yeah. we, we, that sidetracked us away from the uh, build and field discussion, because the other thing I wanted to yeah. talk about was the plastic. Yeah, or, or well, polycarbonate, or whatever they call it. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. So uh, kind of frustratingly... It was probably more of an issue with last year's Note 20s because the pricing was so much higher. Um, uh, but the base Note 20 had a plastic back, polycarbonate back, whilst the Note 20 Ultra had glass. Um, this year, only the base S21 
has the polycarbonate. The other two uh, in the S21 range mm. are glass-backed, and they're going to feel suitably pre- premium as a result. Um, the main thing that kind of makes it stand out is the feel in the hand, not in terms of like the curvature or anything, um, or like, it doesn't flex. It feels very solid, like it's nicely made and well-engineered, like that's not really being called into question. It's more that the, you know, the metal frame, if you leave the phone on a table for a while, will feel cold to the touch mm. whereas the plastic back just doesn't and something psychologically about that especially when you've handled a lot of premium phones um it stands out and not necessarily in a good way but it is pretty subjective i i don't want to just rag on samsung for making this move i don't think it's the worst decision they could have made i would say it's unusual considering i've reviewed cheaper flagship phones from the likes of realme and you know even the oneplus 8t for example that are glass and metal all the way through yep um I don't feel like they needed to make this sacrifice. I don't know how much money they must have saved. I can only assume it's a money cost considering the other two phones are still um, glass-backed. Yeah. Uh, and also you can see which, uh, when we had this photographed, it was photographed, you know, by a professional, a videographer, Dom Tom, who made sure the phone looked pristine. This is real world usage. And for those <laughs> who are just listening, it is covered in fingerprints. It holds onto fingerprints pretty badly. Uh, I'd say worse than most glass. Um but it is, I quite like the way that, you know, the finish, the way it hits the light. Um, it's grippier than glass in certain situations, depending on temperature. Um, for the most part, I don't mind it. I just think, again, it's it's all about telegraphing what changes they've made and how they might affect users. Yep. Same with the charger. They need to make sure that it's clear that this is different to the S21 Plus and the Ultra and people don't feel shortchanged. So I guess that's a good point to go to the other arguable big downgrades, which is display resolution. Yeah, um, the last year we kind of ragged on all of the the uh, the range because they wouldn't let you do the 120 hertz, which had just been introduced mm. um, refresh rate with full resolution, which is WQHD plus. Uh, on the 21 and the 21 plus, they top out a full HD. They're full HD panels. That is just it. I, yeah. It's arguably le- less of an issue on this phone because this is the smaller phone, 6.2 inch versus 6.7 on the S21 plus. Um, I did the math and it's about a quarter, it's 25% drop in pixel density, which is pretty big. Mm. Um, that said, WQHD plus at 6.2 inches is already so high that in real world use, you're not going to notice it that much. It's not going to detract from you enjoying movies or gaming or anything like that. It's just knowing that it's a downgrade um, is, you know, an upset considering it's a new device and it's the successor. Um so yeah, in terms of that, it's it's a, it's a bummer, but it's not a deal breaker by any means. Um, I think it might be on the S21 Plus. If you get eyes on that, I'd be curious to see whether you can kind of start to see, mm. um, you know, some some pixelation uh, uh, in the details of things on screen. Um, the dynamic refresh rate is quite nice uh, with regards to it's 120 hertz tops out as last time. You can run that the whole time. Um, and they've definitely worked on power efficiency, which I think is partly of that adaptive nat- nature. So it can drop down to 48 hertz um, when it needs to, because you don't always need that full, super smooth refresh rate. Um, and so therefore, battery life is definitely up, especially at 120 hertz um, versus the S20, which I look back on our battery test from last year. And yeah, it's a lot better in that regard. And, and the S20 wasn't a bad phone for battery life even the exynos version Absolutely i think not. i think on the s10 series the exynos ones were like had a bad battery the s20 yeah. was kind of like oh the exynos version is fine but the the us snapdragon version is better but if this is improved on on last year's exynos s20 i think that should be a pretty solid battery life experience right 
Yeah, um, the review, which should be live now, has like a full breakdown of, of our various battery test tests that we do. But I was getting, um, in terms of real world use, screen on time, I was getting between six and a half and seven and a half hours. Wow. Um, usually, as, as a rule of thumb, five hours is probably enough to get you through a day for mm. most users. So this is definitely going to get you through a day, maybe a day and a half, maybe two. Sometimes I've got two days out of this on a charge. Um, so, yeah, it's definitely got uh, enough legs for that. So you shouldn't have to worry about, you know, going harder than a gaming on like your train ride into work when we're back on trains, for example. Um, but, yeah, uh, they've done enough. It's no bigger. The battery isn't any bigger. So the savings are really coming from that adaptive refresh rate and the new more power efficient processor, I assume. Um, and maybe some power management stuff going on the on behind the scenes with One UI 3.1. This is the first device to use this updated version of One UI 3, which is already kind of slowly rolling out to existing Samsung devices um, atop Android 11. So it doesn't doesn't offer you a choice like on previous phones between like the 60 and 120 hertz. It just constantly adapts to what you're doing, or. So adaptive is on by default. That's the main right. thing, which I think previously, I think it was on by default at 120 hertz, but it was, it was, you could lock it. Yeah. Um, let me just jump in and clarify that because I don't have the, uh, the display menus committed to mem memory. <laughs> yeah. So you have either adaptive or standard and that's it. So standard is right. just 60. Okay. Um, so you can't lock it. Or adaptive. So you don't, yeah. So you can't lock it. Um, I don't think it's a big issue. Like using the the just swiping around the interface, it's definitely running at a high refresh rate. I'm going to assume 120. Um, I guess it's harder to quantify that because the phone is kind of controlling exactly when it doesn't doesn't throttle the the refresh rate, the frame rate, the display. Um, but in terms of my user experience versus other phones that I know have been locked to 120 hertz, it feels as smooth or as responsive. Uh, you mentioned yeah. in passing there the the new chip. And obviously, we've talked a bit mm. about Exynos v Snapdragon. We're going to go into actual chips in the next bit. But how how does this perform in terms of just that pure like benchmarking? And if you've done any gaming on it or anything like that, I don't know if you tested yeah. anything. I, I did a bit of gaming, nothing crazy, um, like a, a brief stint in I think COD Mobile or, or PUBG. I forget which one it was now. Um, but the the general consensus with this kind of chip, you know, this is the first. As I mentioned, I think last week, this is the first. Uh, Snapdragon 888 or Exynos 2100 toting phone outside of yep. China that you can get your hands on. So there's not really much in the way of Android phones you can compare it to unless you're in China and you have a Mi 11 um, from Xiaomi. Uh, that said, it's superb, but I wasn't expecting it not to be. Um, the challenge will really be, you know, as the year goes on, whether this chip and 8 gigs of RAM, which is what the S21 and S21 Plus top out at, is going to be enough in the long haul. I think it will be. I think the chip is so much performance headroom that it'll last most people two years easy and and not feel like a a, a brick by the end of that time. Um, and that's the same thing that I think we've talked about with the iPhones and the A14 Bionic. There's so much headroom there that you're not going to feel any of the limits of the performance of the chip until much later on in yep. its lifespan. So yeah, if you're looking for a long-term flagship, this has the performance to deliver that without worry, which is, you know, that's nice. That's the appeal, I think, of, of going for these more expensive phones, even at the start of uh, 2021. So, yeah, the, the chip is solid. Um, in terms of artificial benchmarking, it's actually one of the highest scoring Android mm -hmm. phones we've had. We're using the Exynos version. Um, I've actually had a chat with a colleague in the States, Mike Simon, who has the, I think, S21 and S21 Ultra with the right. Snapdragon chip. 
and we're going to on Monday have a conversation about maybe doing some benchmarking comparisons. So stay tuned because we might actually have a, a side by side, if you will, of, of benchmark scores to see just how different they are. If you don't know, uh, for those listening, Exynos typically is underperformed versus the Snapdragon, mainly with power efficiency, but also with benchmarking. So the implied uh, sense that Samsung's giving out, which is from when you covered the launch of the Exynos 2100 DOM, was that this year that's not going to be the case and that Exynos is going to be way more competitive, yep. way more kind of leveling the playing field, maybe even beating out the Snapdragon in certain areas. So it'll be interesting to see just what that looks like and whether that's on the money. But yeah, uh, in terms of real world usage, I have no concerns about the chip and the setup that Samsung's gone with, with that 8 gigs of RAM um, in the S21. I think it's going to be a solid flagship choice for anyone who, who wants to buy into the brand um the thing i should mention is memory uh is different or storage specifically um which we did touch on before because you have 128 gigs and 256 which is loads for most users um but there is no micro sd expandability the sim tray is just a dual sim tray one sim on a nano sim on each side that's all you got so that's the end of it for the galaxy s line it seems which i think this is the first gen that that cuts that out we saw that fading away with the note series last year and now it's it's gone on the s series too uh, just to loop back to uh, the chipset, we've had Shrey in the comments on YouTube asking, mm. how does it compare to the A14, uh, the the iPhone chip? Um, I can pull out the table. Again, if you check out the review on the site, I've already embedded our iPhone 12 benchmarks. Um, it's tricky to do graphical benchmark comparisons because iPhones use metal as their kind of graphical kind of framework, whereas we tested... Uh, we test Android devices with both um, is it OpenGL and Falcon yep. uh, graphics yep. protocol. So it's a little bit different, um, but it does at least give you a sense of how similarly um, these phones performs. It, it perform in some areas, actually the, I think OnePlus 8T actually graphically outperformed the S21. I'm not sure why I that is. Maybe that. the extra RAM. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure what's going on there, um, but consistently the A14 still has a pretty sizable lead across mm. both CPU and GPU performance. Um, so yeah, that, that, that is typically how it's always, yeah. always goes year on year um, mm-hmm. with Apple's chips versus the Qualcomm chips or the Exynos chips. Um, and that's, you know, partly iOS, it's partly Samsung having full control of the whole pipeline. Yeah. And I think it's not surprising. One of the things we always say in relation to that is there's a clear benchmarking difference generally between the latest a Apple A chip and, and and the Snapdragon or whatever. You don't tend to notice a significant performance difference actually using the phones. It's not like iPhones are massively faster than the flagship Androids. No. And that goes back to, especially right now, when both phones are still so new, you're not going to find the edges of their performance limitations until yeah. way down the line. Um, Shrey has also asked another question that's worth covering just going back now to the storage question which they asked how do you record and store 8k without SD so maybe we'll go on to camera stuff in a second yeah I think it's a fair point that especially if you get the 128 gig if you do actually want to record 8k that is probably going to fill up very quickly (laughs) yeah I shot 8k earlier so I have how long is this clip Uh, is that 8k one of the clips I shot earlier, I can check it on the device because it's still on here. I think off the top of my head, it was like, it's a 16 second mm. clip and it's 160 megabytes. <laughs> so, it, so, so what is that? Is that, that's 10 a second. 
So I'm going by because uh, it's the same 8K video recording as the S20, wasn't it? Right? Should be. Should yeah. be. Yeah. It, there's uh, nothing so inherently... according to Samsung, the S20, um, one minute of 8K is 600 MB. Yeah, that matches up to those numbers wow. that Toddy was just yeah. saying. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that is accurate. So it's the same. Yeah. Um, this is something you brought up before, Dom, uh, when we you know talked about the launch of the A888 and the Exynos. Um, I don't know why they, they couldn't improve the frame rate over last year's mm. S-series phones with regards to the 8K recording. It's still just a showpiece feature, obviously. Like, I, I wouldn't recommend shooting an 8K. You lose image stabilization for one, um, which is, means you have to lock the phone down. Otherwise, it's basically useless footage yeah. anyway. Um but yeah, the, the, you know, the, the Exynos 2100 is capable of 60 FPS 8K recording technically, and the 888 is capable of 30 FPS. So even a jump to 30 would have been a nice option. I, I was thinking about this, and I do wonder if it's just a question of headroom. They're just doing 24, yeah. just gives them a little bit of leeway for if other stuff kicks in on the phone and it so it doesn't just shut the whole thing down or, or break in some way because it... You know, if it can, in theory, do 30, but it needs all of the phone's resources pointed at the camera app to make that happen... Maybe in practice, wonder, that's not possible. Um, but it is <laughs> yeah. a funny thing where it feels like the 888, the 888 is the bottleneck there. And actually, that if it wasn't for the Snapdragon phones, we might be seeing 30 FPS 8K on the Exynos ones. Yes. And it's weird to think that maybe the Snapdragon ones are holding the Exynos ones back, which is not something we would have <laughs> thought about before. Uh, I want to move on soon because no. we've spoken about the, S- the S21 for 20 minutes already and we've got other stuff to cover. But we haven't really spoken Good about day. camera stuff <laughs> other than the video. Um, my yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the the thing I think that is a little misleading, but y- you know y- you can forgive them, I guess. Like it's 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 a matter of opinion. Uh, this camera looks pretty serious, especially it's the most prominent thing on the back of the phone, and you know especially in this color where it's like accented in gold and these sensors look huge and they rise off the back of the phone a bit. Like it looks like serious business. Um, uh, on paper. As far as I can tell, they are the same sensors from last year's phone. Mm. There's nothing about, you know, any any of the hardware and until we get a teardown of this and we can see whether or not it's exactly the same components, which I'm pretty sure it is. Um, it looks like almost, well, yes, all the features, all the camera features that are, have been added this year are basically part of One UI 3.1 yeah. and just part of the camera update mm. to the software. Um, the main thing is things we talked about in the launch, so like director's view, which lets you see all of the sensors and what they can see at once and you can jump between them especially yep. useful if you're filming um there's some new uh you know image processing for selfies you can have a a contour light sort of thing um and it, you can give it a bias so it'll, it'll typically take selfies that are brighter than the, the the standard you know um available light or or you can make it more accurate um and these are all little tweaks and changes that i haven't seen in previous iterations of the camera experience um but yeah, most of it is 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 software enhanced, um, and maybe some of that is made possible by the Snapdragon eight 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 or the Exynos. I was about to say, there's definitely a hardware side, but it's it's chipset hardware improvements, not lens changes or sensor changes. Yeah, so it's more of a pixel style camera improvement um, than anything else. I don't know if that is the best way to look at it because it's not necessarily uh, AI or algorithmic. They didn't talk too much about them improving their algorithms yep. in that regard. It's more about features uh, on. Um, on- but yeah, the, the cameras are great already. They just have a decidedly yeah. Samsung, you know, bias to 
punchy colors and that kind of stuff but that's expected if you if you know any of the previous samsung phones they've always had that bias so uh, another another thing for comments is someone asking if there's something about um the s21 that gives it director's view that other one ui um three phones don't have i think that's exactly the point we were just talking about chipset stuff it's basically about whether the chipsets are capable of processing all those camera feeds simultaneously and that's something that's new to the new i think previously they could do two feeds and it's new to the new Mm. range that they can do three I think the Exynos can technically do four, but obviously it doesn't have to. Um, so I think that ability to process all those feeds simultaneously and display all those feeds, you can see them at the same time. That's just yep. something that last year's ships are not capable of doing. And that's why you won't see that rollout um, to older phones or to cheaper phones, essentially. Yeah, can't can't improve on that really. Yeah, that's exactly it. Um, so yeah, beyond the software, the screen is like... So many things, if you, if you ask me quickly, are fine. Yep. Everything's fine. S21 is a fine phone. You're not going to be upset with anything that it does, uh, except for maybe you don't get a charger in the box. Yeah. Um, mm. But if it excites me, no, not really. It, it's it's a it's a, a better, more exciting prospect than the S20, mainly because of the design. Mm. Um, and they have priced it more you're... competitively. You know that they've we, we've talked about yes. a few downgrades, but they have brought the price down substantially for the starting model, and that is yeah. worth remembering yeah the crux of my kind of the the question i pose at the start of my review is have the corners that they've cut are they valid enough yeah. to justify the, the cost reduction without it feeling like a cheap phone or are you still feeling like you've lost too much from previously and overall i don't think so i don't think the average user is going to care about the fact that the screen's full hd um only the spec heads will and they would probably look at a device like the ultra anyway yeah um, and yeah, the, the, on the on the plus side, you know, this costs less than the 4G model did in the UK, and this comes with 5G as standard. Mm. Um, and there's rumors of a 4G model mm. in the wings. We haven't actually mm. seen that yet, but that might be even cheaper um, with all the rest of the great hardware that's already on offer. So yeah, value for money. Um, it's a hard comparison to make because we don't really have any other Western Snapdragon 888 or Exynos 2100 phones to compare it against. Mm. Um, but yeah. 150 200 quid bump on a phone like the oneplus 8t for the next gen chip um that's that's your call to make but i don't think it's the most ludicrous right now especially this is the first so it's it it feels like a solid choice and especially if you you like samsung and you're in the ecosystem if you're on an s10 and looking for an upgrade but it's not such a astonishing yeah piece of value for money or nothing new that it does that would make you go oh you yeah definitely go i said if you're already into right something now, it's, if it's you game already game. have a, a galaxy s device i'd say if you are not on an s9 or older i think it's fine if you're on an s10 i think you probably yep. be worth waiting another generation before you make that jump i okay. think there's not enough here to really yeah. sell it because you've already got those multi-cameras on the back with the s10 so yeah that's that's so yeah generally uh recommended phone good value for money It'll do everything you want it to, and it'll last you a long time. So it hits all those points, and that's exactly what it needed to do. It's not going to wow you. It's not going to um, blow any other phones out of the water in any great regard in the flagship space. But yeah, it's done enough, and I think Samsung set out for it to do enough. And in markets like the UK, it actually undercuts the iPhone 12, which I think is also kind of its whole point. 
Uh, cool, great. Thank you for that. We are going to move on to talk about chipsets. Uh, before we do, I just want to say for everyone on YouTube, I have no idea why my camera is cutting out every 60 seconds. It's as infuriating to me as it must be to you watching. I'm trying to turn it back on as quickly as I can. Nope, there it's we go. Zoom to play no. or there it goes. As if on cue. I, I, uh, it's just so frustrating. We are going to plow ahead. Uh, let's turn to chipsets. So this week, uh, obviously, we've just been talking about new chipsets in this phone, but actually, we've then had more new chipsets be announced. Uh, first out, Snapdragon, uh, the Snapdragon 870 was announced by Qualcomm, which was a bit of a surprise. We weren't expecting that. It's a second 8 series after we already had the 888, but it's not an 888 plus. It's not even based on the 888. <laughs> it's got nothing to do with the 888. The next day, MediaTek announced the Dimensity 1200 and 1100, which we knew we knew they had an event coming. Uh, I wasn't following it too closely. I'm not sure if we were expecting two chips, but we got two chips. Uh, they are very similar, though. Um, so I'm going to run through them very quickly, and then we can get sort of discussion of what that means industry-wide, I guess. The, so the A70 first, the Snapdragon. I think the naming is a little disingenuous. This is the Snapdragon 865++. Plus Plus. Uh, just like the 865 Plus was basically an 865 with, with an overclocked CPU, this is that. They've just overclocked it even more. Uh, they've taken the prime core up to 3.2 gigahertz, um, which means it is, the, in terms of clock speed, the fastest Snapdragon yet. Um, in practice, we don't really know how much that's going to matter. Qualcomm hasn't given us benchmarks or anything to see how it compares to the 888. It seems like a safe bet it will not actually be up there with the 888 because it's not on the 5 nanometer architecture. It's not got the um, Cortex-X1 prime core that the 888 has. Instead, it's just got the same A78 core that the 865 has. It's an A65 plus a little bit faster. Um, Why didn't they just call it know. that? They say, I think, 25% <laughs> speed improvement. I, my, you know, my headline was it's the A65++. That's what it is. Um, then we've got the, the MediaTeks. These are their new actual flagships. These are flagship flagships. These are designed in theory to compete with the 888. In practice, though, performance-wise and architecture-wise, they're probably closer <laughs> to the 870. Uh, these are the first 6 nanometer MediaTek chips. There we go. Uh, these are the 6 nanometer chips, so not 7. They haven't made the jump to 5 yet. They've done this slightly old halfway step, and I'm no. not sure I've seen anyone else mm -hmm. do 6 nanometer, but... Um, they have basically the same architecture as the 865 and thus the 865 plus and thus the 870 in that it's got that prime core and then three performance cores and four efficiency cores but the prime and the performance cores are all a78s uh the clock speeds are set a little different i think the peak of the immensity 1200 is three gigahertz um versus 3.2 on the 870 but then the other chips it's clocked a little faster than the equivalent ones on the 870 it's all going to balance out. It's going to be much of a muchness. I think that's kind of where this is going to sit. It, these are, it's faster than an 865. It's probably similar to an 865 plus, maybe the 870, that kind of space. Not up there with the 888, not the same camera performance as the 888. Uh, the Dimensity 1100 sits just below. It's basically the same infrastructure, except it doesn't overclock that prime core. Instead, it's four fast cores are all at the same speed. I can't stop my head from what it is. I think it's yep. 2.6 gigahertz. Yeah. Um, the, the functional difference there is basically it caps out at 144 hertz refresh rates rather than 168, which is what the 1200 can do. And it caps out at 108 megapixel camera sensors rather than 200 megapixel. 
but I mean, again, those are both kind of conceptual. There are no 168 hertz phones. There are no 200 megapixel camera sensors. So can we now get chat to recite all of that back to us from memory, please? (laughs) (laughs) That was a test. I hope you're paying attention. Um, So that's the spec dump for you. I guess basically where it sits is all of these chips, all three are kind of similar in terms of where I'd expect them to sit on benchmarks. In practical terms, they're all going to give a kind of similar performance day to day. And they're all basically in a kind of affordable flagship space. These aren't going to be in the top, top, top tier 888, like thousand pound phones. Um, But maybe people who are putting out phones in the kind of five to 700 space, kind of where the base S21 is. That's the kind of thing we might see. The brands we've already seen on board are actually kind of similar for both. I think basically people, I don't know, could grab a list for each, but it's pretty much like Oppo and, and Xiaomi and Vivo um, uh, have thrown their weight behind them. One of the interesting ones is OnePlus mm. has said it is going to do an 870 phone, mm. which suddenly is interesting. And then that makes you go, well, hang on, does that a mean Nord? the Nord yeah. 2 mm. is getting a step up? Or my personal theory is that this is going to be what distinguishes the 9 and the 9 Pro. Mm. Is that the yeah. 9 will be an 870 and the 9 Pro will be an 880. I mean, there was also talk of a 9 Lite though, so could this, this power the yeah, 9 Lite? Who knows? Mm. Wait and see. But that is basically the space I think this is in. I think what's really interesting is we've got the 870, but we've still had no sign of a kind of year-on-year successor to the 765G, which was the big phone last year. I know there was a 768G, but that didn't actually get used in practice as as widely, and and that came out more mid-year. But we were all expecting the 888 to be joined by a a 777 or something like that that was going to sit in that same space because, of course, the 765G powered mid-range devices, but it also powered the Pixel 5 and the LG Velvet, which were flagships. Um, I have a feeling that maybe, and this is all my speculation, but I have a feeling that inside Qualcomm HQ, they weren't thrilled that flagship phones were coming out using what they build as a mid-range processor. And that maybe what they wanted was a chip that has their flagship 8 series branding <laughs> to power those flagships that aren't quite flagships yeah. i mean that was their fault for overpricing the 865 though right <laughs> oh yeah no totally they, they they made the 865 too expensive and they made the 765g too too powerful um and so they they you know screwed up their own market divisions but <laughs> i feel like this is them trying to correct that and, mm-hmm. and create this this like in the flagship space this sub flagship tier that mm-hmm. we've seen develop in the in the phone marketplace. Uh, we've also seen, you know, products like uh, the one I mentioned to you when we first talked about this story was the uh Realme X3 Super Zoom which came out last year. Yep. But, you know, and it was I think around a 470 pound price point, so it's kind of like a premium mid-range or a budget flagship somewhere mm-hmm. in there that weird space that we're still kind of trying to define. Um but that used an 855 plus I think it was. So, yep. you know, it was using a pr- the previous year, 2019's flagship chip. Um, so the 870 makes a lot of sense as that stand-in f- instead of resorting and, to an 865. So I, I totally mm-hmm. see that, that. And again, I think that's also the space it's in. It, it, it's yeah. um, a, a good example of that is when the 888 launched, Motorola put out a statement saying they were going to release a, a phone with an 8-series chip. But they very pointedly didn't say a phone with the 888. <laughs> they um, knew. So everyone was like, oh, okay, they're going to use the 865 or the X65+. Plus. That's interesting. They're doing what Realme did. They're releasing something with a year-old flagship. Um, then what they've actually done is announced this week that the Motorola Edge S is coming next week, powered by the 870. 
So it is exactly that. It'll fill that space where it's like, cool, we want a flagship, but we don't want the flagship flagship. It would be way cheaper to buy last year's chip, right? <laughs> and Qualcomm's just done that, but put a shiny new badge on it so that they can up the price to OEMs. That would be an interesting bit of information to be able to source is, is the unit cost for these chips, just to see how much more yeah. expensive the 865 was versus the 855 and how the 870 plays into it versus both the Dimensity range, the new ones, and the 888. I think if there is if there is a similar uptake to like the 765G in the 870, it, it could work kind of in manufacturer's favour because they say like, oh, look, look at this. We've got this chip that's better than last year's flagship yeah. chip. But is in like what will essentially be a mid-range device, so I think that yeah. could actually work work in their favour. Absolutely, because that's one thing couldn't do with the seven six five G. It was a very good chip, but you couldn't say it's better than the eight five five, the previous year's flagship, because on benchmarks it just it wasn't. It had some things the eight five five didn't, like integrated five G, but on sort of core like benchmark performance, it didn't it didn't beat that. Yeah. Um, Does the eight seventy have integrated five G? Sorry, did you just say that? No, I think the 870, it will have 5G, but because it is functionally an 865, I think separate it must modem. be the same separate modem. Um, right. But the 765G had integrated. So that is one of the downsides of this, is is that has different requirements for power consumption and also for space in, inside the phone. And it's one of the things OEMs didn't like about the 865, is they needed space for the chipset and for the 5G modem, and they weren't integrated. Uh, it is funny that we've now just got a third generation of that architecture that we know mm. OEMs didn't like very much, and they're having to put up with it yet again. Um, and that's that's the bit that surprises me, maybe, that this isn't something new with an integrated 5G modem, because we know that's been annoying OEMs. Um, the other thing, I guess, then, in that regard, is that the Dimensity chips do have integrated 5G. I just had a quick mm-hmm. Google. Um, and... MediaTek has always been that kind of like second choice for chipsets. But I think with the push to make 5G more affordable, more accessible, which we were starting to see at the end of last year, they are maybe better poised than Qualcomm to be the ones to occupy that space. In a funny way, yeah. I mean, it's worth saying, you know, with that line about MediaTek being second choice, there was Q3 2020. Um, this sort of, they, they overtook Qualcomm's market share for the first time. Wow. Um, so they took up 31% of the phone chip and market space in, in Q3 of year, uh, with Qualcomm on 20-something, high 20s. Uh, there's obviously then Apple taking up 10% or so, and then there's a couple other brands, uh, Samsung taking up another chunk with the Exynos stuff. Um, so MediaTek is a big player. One of the interesting things, I was talking to uh, the uh, CEO of Planet Computers, which is this British company that does these little like PDA-style devices. They've got a new one called the AstroSlide 5G that was a crowdfunded thing, and that's now had its final specs set. And there was a mild controversy there because it had had a chipset downgrade from the MediaTek 1000 to the MediaTek 800. Um, and that was you know between the promise to when the final thing, and they, they had a, a lower-spec chipset, and, and some people, some backers obviously were unhappy about that. One of the interesting things out that came out talking to them was they were kind of KG or, or maybe genuinely didn't know why that had happened, why they weren't able to license the 1000, but they were very much like, it was on MediaTek, we wanted the 1000, MediaTek wouldn't let us have it. Um, and one of the suggestions he made was that it was maybe this kind of political thing, in terms of there being a sense within MediaTek that some chips are for the Chinese market, and that there's a bit of a kind of sense of MediaTek itself prioritizes some of its supply for homegrown phones. And for, you know, even the stuff that just only sells in uh, in in the Chinese market, 
we are going to have to see whether that starts to shift because I think you're right. We're going to see more uptake of of MediaTek in its in that flagship space and in that mid range space, and I think more of those are going to start rolling out to the west. But there's definitely yeah, a sense now. Sorry, I'll, I'll, uh, there's definitely a sense now that when a brand is making several phones and they know that some of them are only destined for China, they seem more likely to put the MediaTek chip in the model that's staying in China, mm-hmm. and put a Snapdragon mm-hmm. or an Exynos in the models that are maybe shipping internationally. Uh, mm-hmm. And Ira, I cut you off. Yeah, so, sorry. I was just going to say that I think the only MediaTek um, phones I've tested so far have been in like really budget, mm-hmm. cheap phones. I think that's the reputation they've got in the West. So. I can understand this big push to be like, we can also produce flagship uh, um, quality specs. But um, but yeah, like you said, um, that obviously that came as a surprise to me, like that they have more market share than Qualcomm, just because Qualcomm is so... Um, it, it seems so dominant yeah. to us, yeah. Yeah, it does, yeah. yeah. It's just like nearly every phone, yeah, nearly every mid-range and flagship phone at least has an option for a Qualcomm chip. Yeah, we may actually see the first case of this sometime soon because it was meant to be announced on Monday and I thought we were going to talk about it today, but the, the launch was delayed to, to tomorrow, to January 22nd. But the Honor V40 series is about to be um, revealed. Uh, and obviously, I think the expectation is that was originally modeled on a Kirin chip because they were part of Huawei. Now Huawei sold them. And most leaks seem to agree it's probably going to be a MediaTek chip inside the V40 series. Uh, I think the Dimensity 1000 Plus um, so the, the previous flagship. Um, but Honor is probably going to be looking to ship the V40 internationally, uh, probably as the V40, uh, not least because it, there's also some signs suggesting this may be the first phone they're able to ship hmm. Google uh, Google yeah, Play that's services. That's going to be my question. Um, we're not, it's a bit unclear if this one's going to have it or not, if they've had the time to sort it out or not. But again, we'll find out tomorrow. But so there's a lot of reason to think they might want to ship the V40 internationally. And this is a phone that we think is going to have a MediaTek chip in, but it's going to be a flagship. That it will be one of the first cases that someone making a big push for that. Uh, but yeah, so I mean, we've, we've I feel like we have a glut of chipsets recently because between them, we had the Exynos 2100 the other week. The Exynos 1080 was only in December, as was the Snapdragon 888. Uh, we also had a, a new Snapdragon 4 series and 6 series both got announced over the last little while. So there's been a glut and I really hope people stop putting chips out for a little bit. I guess it's interesting because during last year, I'd say the mid-range market was the really competitive market, especially at the upper end. And this is where, yep. you know, you'd expect that's where the chips were then going to start amassing. And we're yep. seeing that now. But, you know, the first place in the year were the flagship stuff, the Exynos and the, and the 888. Um, 2100 and the 888. Um, so yeah, I'm intrigued to see going forward whether we're going to see a change in uh, these chipmakers' attention, especially Qualcomm. Yep. You know, are they going to still do one or two iterations of the 888 throughout this year just to keep that relevant? Or are they going to start pushing out more 765, 768G follow-ups um, that fill that gap between the 870 and, and integrated 5G alternatives to that? Yep. Um, yeah. So I think it's going to be a, maybe a busy year for chips. It is telling, just as a like closing note, yeah, the Qualcomm press release about the 870, uh, in the line where it talks about which manufacturers have phones that they're going to uh, release with the 870, they make a point of calling them flagship phones. Mm. Uh, you know, they don't say phones are coming out, they say flagship phones are coming out with the 870. And again, I think that's why Qualcomm wants to push this is a flagship chip for flagship phones, not mid-rangers, no matter what we may call them. <laughs> 
but yeah, we will see the first phones. Uh, obviously, we've had some confirm. We know there's going to be the Edge S that's going to be revealed next week. We know the uh, Realme X9 Pro is going to use the Dimensity 1200. Uh, we, so we're going to see some of these phones really soon and more basically over February and March. This was sort of billed as like Q1 phones basically are going to be using this. So we're going to see a lot more stuff with these chips in very soon. Uh, let's move on to the final segment of today, which is, I don't know, a little bit sad. Uh, <laughs> LG may be giving up finally on phones after, I don't know, five straight years of, of loss making from its phone division. <laughs> yeah, maybe. That's rough. That Something like rough. that. I think, mm. I think from 2015 on, they haven't made a profit, turned a profit on phones. Uh, so to put it in the context, there was a report by a Korean site called The Elec. Um, at the weekend, and they basically said, yep, LG is ready to ditch the mobile industry. Um, LG firmly denied this, said this is nonsense. We've got the rollable coming out. We've, you know, just put phones out. You know, we're obviously in this. Uh, And then uh, it was reported by, I think, the Korean Herald uh, that actually they did send a memo around internally. And that memo was from from the CEO of LG basically saying, yeah, we're maybe going to um to, to wind down the mobile division i'll see if i can grab some quotes um uh the, the, there's a statement from lg that says it's about time for lg to make a cold judgment and the best choice the company is considering all possible measures including sale withdrawal and downsizing of the smartphone business so the wing didn't work then i mean i I was pretty bummed out i think i've mentioned it in the past on the show but like i felt like lg was slowly morphing into the like the modern day crazy nokia back when we got like the lipstick nokia and all those kind of weird and wonderful form factors i felt like Mm -hmm. with devices like the wing and Mm -hmm. and the uh it was like a the explorer edition like phones like the wing was representing the first in this kind of series of devices that you know the rollable exactly um, so if that is, if it does kind of hold water and it does kind of follow through and, and turn out to be the case, then I, I'll be sad in that regard because I think there aren't enough crazy phone makers out there, especially with the, uh, R and D budgets that companies like LG typically have yeah. to try these things out, yeah. um, that aren't just Kickstarter products, you know? So, yeah. uh, yeah, uh, I hope it isn't true just because I want to see more weird phones yeah. out in the world. Yeah. I think, I think one of the things that, you know, I noticed about I guess like the first defoldables like Huawei and Samsung is that they have like the traditional phone design is really, they've got a really solid and successful regular phone line. And then mm-hmm. with like the, with like the V series, LG has never really been able to establish this to like perhaps to like make it seem like uh, their mobile division is viable. Like, like they've got all these wacky um, different phone designs and projects, but if they don't have, but they're never going to be like one of their top selling phones or never yeah. going to be really. Those are the last um, leaders, awesome. right? Yeah. They, they exactly. get your name out there, but then you need something else that's turning the profit and LG doesn't have that. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So that's, it just, yeah, it feels like um, they're, they're just trying things maybe on the ground yeah. of the last hurrah because there's, they've tried lots like over many different years mm-hmm. and with lots of different traditional phone designs and none of, not have been able to stick with consumers. I think maybe. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned. Oh, sorry, you. Yeah. I was going to say you mentioned the V series like that didn't really that hasn't really taken hold. Yeah. Before that, there was the G series that the V series mm. at a time was really their kind of like kind of like their their note range to the S range that was the G series. It, it had more kind of specialist features. It it had a focus on video at one point. Um, it was like the power users device, 
and then yeah they kind of gave up with the move to 5g especially they, they kind of gave up on the g series a little bit and, and put all their eggs in the basket of the v series and it just yeah i don't know why it hasn't panned out but it, it just hasn't so far anyway well, yeah, I mean, they had that strange year where they put the G and the V out at the exact same time together when they'd previously always been <laughs> six months staggered. And so they put both their flagships out at the same time, which made no sense. And then obviously they made this pivot to the dual screen thing, which I've always been a proponent of, but is a sort of niche, but a cool niche. But again, it, it's a niche and this is your main flagship line and you've given it this really odd specialist feature that most people aren't going to want. Um, I, I think part of the... that. I wonder, you, you know, Lewis, you made the joke, oh, clearly the LG wing didn't work. I think, I don't know that the wing was ever meant to be, you know, a, a profit maker in a big way. No. But I think part of what was meant to maybe help, and maybe this is what hasn't helped enough, is they um, started outsourcing their budget and mid-range devices uh, a little while ago, which they don't even release mm. in the West anymore, at least not in the UK. Um, but I think they're still shipping a lot in Asia, and that's basically where the, the market share they have is pretty much that. Same so made the decision they were going to just outsource all of their R&D for those, they were going to stop making those themselves, but essentially just pay other companies to make budget phones and put an LG logo on. That was clearly a cost-saving idea. My guess is that didn't actually pan out. That hasn't saved enough. That hasn't shifted the bottom line enough. And that was meant to be the baseline that gave them the money to fund all the wacky stuff. Okay. Uh, and I guess maybe that's what's not working. I, I wonder whether they're how insular LG Mobile as a division is within the company mm. because at the same time that you know this this if this holds water they're also putting out like very pretty niche products like I know like UV is all the rage right now and that but I know pretty much LG is a UV sanitizer they have a, a like a, an active filtered face mask product they're kind of able to quickly turn around and throw money at these mm. kind of like kind of flash in the pan products as well Whereas they could have diverted that funding into maybe just better marketing, I think was maybe yeah. one of the weakest points of LG. Mm -hmm. It wasn't necessarily that the phones were bad. They, they weren't. They've, they've made some really great devices, just solid, basic Android phones before you throw in the dual screens and the, and the, and the wing and all that stuff. Um, I think it's been more the, the branding and marketing, especially in, in Western markets, that's yeah. struggled. I think it's that. And I think it's that for a long time, they didn't offer anything unique or at least they didn't offer something unique that the Western market wanted. So I know a big struggle mm. for them basically was that the networks and the carriers in the West stopped stocking their devices. And, and I'm sure there's loads of reasons behind that, but I can't help but feel that part of it is probably that, you know, flagship phones were often very similar and there was an easy reason to see why you stopped the Samsung. But then you say, well, this new LG one is very similar to that Samsung one. What, what, what makes me stock the LG one? And it's not the brand recognition because it wasn't quite the same. And then it was like, the place that LG made their stand on was things like speaker quality or like video recording that are in themselves, again, quite niche features. And like the average person yeah. going and buying a phone does not give a damn how good the speakers are. And even if they do, they can't test that in the shop in a meaningful way. You know, it, it, it always felt like the, the places they were like, yeah, we're the phones for audio nerds. And I'm like, wow, there's not enough of them. <laughs> I'm glad they've got a phone, but they're not going to like keep your whole like global smartphone business alive. I mean, like, look at the gaming phone market. Like, gaming yeah. as a as a as, as an industry is like a multi billion dollar industry. Of course, the gaming phone market is still very small, yeah. and trying to have a successful gaming phone, <laughs> mainly outside of China, is almost impossible. Yeah, uh, unless you're also selling in China, and that's kind of keeping your your sales of that afloat yep. um so yeah the, the fact that 
their approach was as such seemed very strange. Like, do you remember the uh, the G5 was modular? Do you remember yep. the, all the modules you could get for the G5? Like, they, they've always had this kind of like weird undertone to their their approach. But I don't. I think it's been more a case of them searching for what works rather than knowing what what works. Absolutely. I think again that point of you know they didn't have a point of differentiation that was clear, and I think they've just been trying to find it. And it's, you know, they've settled into basically playing around with form factor, which is which is fun and great. And I love it. And I will be very sad if you don't get these weird funds anymore. But I mean, anyone could have called the fact that it was not a good business strategy. You know, the first time I saw mm-hmm. it at a dual screen, I was like, this is cool. But man, no one's going to buy this thing. Um, and mm-hmm. I feel like it's the same ever since. And, you know, they've not done anything to convince people. Otherwise, it's the same with the wing. You look at the wing and you're like, I love this. I love that this exists. I want one. I want to play with it. But when I'm recommending that someone buy a phone, it's not really going to be my first point of call. And most mm-hmm. people looking at it are going to say, yeah, that's cool. I would love to play with one for five minutes in a store, but I want something like more dependable than that and more boring than that for my day-to-day mm-hmm. phone, fundamentally. A thing that I mentioned, I think, in, in the work Slack or something uh, that surprised me about this news is that it's LG that this might mm. be coming from as a move. I previously thought I, I would have assumed it would actually be Sony because like I had a quick look and uh, in terms of market share, Sony has been way down over LG for years. LG is a tiny amount of the global market share. It has a bigger amount in you know Europe um, uh, and America uh, than Sony ever has. Um, I think Japan is obviously Sony's stronghold and that yep. makes sense. But outside of that market, Sony has had a tiny, tiny amount of market share. And I feel like even if they've never said it, They've probably come close to calling it quits. Sure. Oh yeah, a few times yeah. in the last few years since they moved to Android and, and started making smartphones. Um, but we've never had a public statement in the way that LG seems to have basically issued. Um, so yeah, I'm surprised that it's LG making this move before Sony. I wonder if Sony's. There are a few kind of possible factors, I guess. One is maybe Sony's done a better job of concentrating on the marketplaces where it can make enough money and just pulling out of the ones where it can't. And maybe it was better at that than LG was. So LG was throwing more money into markets where it couldn't turn a profit. And part of that might be Japan. I, I don't know the Japanese market at all, other than that it's a bit weird. Um, I don't know if, if Sony does do well there, but I could believe they would because they are the big Japanese manufacturer. Whereas LG obviously didn't get to be the big Korean manufacturer and have this stronghold of support in Korea because <laughs> Samsung's mm. right there too. <laughs> yeah, I think they've always wanted to be yeah. the Samsung. Um, uh, whereas I think Sony now, like if you look at its marketing, it's all about for the yeah. fans. Like they make Sony phones for Sony users and mm. Sony fans already. Like exactly. they're not bothering to market to other people. Um, and that's part of the mm. point as well. There's a loyal Sony fan base. We've seen that all the time. There isn't that for LG. And there's also the R&D cost. You mentioned joined up stuff. Sony quite famously, I think, within the industry at least, used to not have joined up departments at all, and it would pit its divisions competitively against each other. Um, Crazy And they eventually did learn, no, this is bonkers. And so now they work together a lot more. And so I feel like the innovations in their display departments are feeding through to the phone side, and the camera side feeds through to the phone side and all of that. So there might be more joined up thinking that lowers their phone-related R&D costs. I don't know. It's possible maybe LG is just worse at that. If nothing else, they don't have a big camera division in the way Sony does. Um, so maybe that meant their camera side of R&D was, was costlier and, and they weren't making the sensors, whereas Sony's making its own, you know, Sony makes the best sensors in the industry, which has got to mean it can secure a better price for itself, you'd hope. Mm. <laughs> mm. And another point, I guess, on that idea is that a lot of brands have kind of doubled down on 
um, like having these ecosystem of devices that work really yep. well together. Oh yeah. Um, but then if you think about let's take um, LG's TVs or that have been relatively successful, there's it's quite hard to get a phone that people really need to use with the TV, and that's probably not enough to sustain them. Whereas Absolutely. they don't have the rest. I guess of the if line. you look at yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, and that uh, um, I don't I don't know if they've ever tried making a tablet. Or just different types, different form factors that have been that can all work together. They've got laptops, but mm. as far as I'm aware, at least in the West, it's just the Gram series, which are kind of flagship yeah. laptops, so nothing more affordable that I'm aware of in in the mm. West. Yeah, and yeah, they certainly don't do any tablets at the moment. I, I... No, they did like back when they used Optimus in their Android mm. branding. I'm pretty sure they had the Optimus Pad range, um, but I, again, I don't think that launched at least not in the UK, and I don't even know if it came to Europe. Yeah. Mm. Um, and they had a note rival at one yep. point uh, with a stylus and everything, but that mm. was again weird, um, but brilliant for I'm being sensing weird. a thing. Yeah, yeah. Again. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they, they love to think outside the box, but I feel like they're just doing it because they. It's like they're not doing the the market research bit. Yeah, they're going. What do people want? I think it's this. Maybe it's this. Well, that, that, Let's roll with that for the that's next how year. It comes across in the product. <laughs> that was yeah. absolutely always the feel. Again, I spoke about part of the problem being carrier stuff, and and I I feel like the networks and the carriers have a pretty good grasp of what their customers want because they have all that direct sales data and everything. And I remember talking to an LG rep back um, when they did the first dual screen in that I think it was two years ago, maybe or maybe three years ago, um, and talking to them about the problems with LG devices shipping to the West, and he just kind of said, "Well, yeah, it's like the carriers keep telling us the phones we're making aren't." aren't what they want um and but you know we're going to make the phones we think are right not the phones the carriers tell us are right and i was there thinking but maybe the carriers know what the market wants <laughs> uh, and maybe pride that's, comes before exactly, a fall maybe that's, there's something here that might give away what's going wrong um i just want to address one thing from the comments because i'm sure other people are thinking it uh from from alex edwards in the comments who said i thought they said they're releasing the rollable this year though and yeah, that that is this weird tension we've got here where just a week or two ago they said LG Rollable coming out this year and now they're saying maybe we're about to wind down the phone division. I think it's <laughs> fair to assume just from a the sunk costs fallacy alone they're probably going to put the Rollable out because oh, they, yeah. they put so much yeah. work mm-hmm. into it. Like I'm sure in some capacity it will release. It's a niche product anyway, so it's not like they're going to build millions of the things because it's going to be hideously expensive and niche and probably not ship in every market. Mm-hmm. Um but I guess, I mean, you know, we were expecting a Velvet 2 this year. We were maybe expecting a Wing 2. Um, who knows whether we're going to see anything other than the rollable. Um, and it is worth saying, this was, you know, we know this memo got sent out. LG has confirmed that. But this memo didn't say we're shutting down our smartphone business. It said we're going to have to have some serious decisions about our smartphone business. That said, it's hard to see why you would send that memo unless you kind of already knew which decision you were likely to make and you were like getting ready for it, that either they're going to close it or, or they're going to strip it down again and make it smaller yet again. But you don't, you don't yeah. send that memo unless you know you're going to have to do one of the bad things, right? Oh, yeah. It was basically yeah, just telling the office to keep your desks tidy because you might need to clear them <laughs> soon. Uh, but yeah. Maybe. So we'll, we'll, we'll find out at some point. I think it'll be a while before we hear any more on this in all likelihood. Um, the whole way it's played out is very old. This this thing of, yeah, we're maybe going to do it, but we'll let you know. Um, I don't entirely understand. I I hope it doesn't. Maybe it's just so journalists talk about it. Maybe it's just yeah, for the hype. Build up some some brand loyalty again. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, if if you want to see them, go out and like buy all the LG phones you can buy. You can find like you know 
all, all the wings, <laughs> all of them. Uh, but yeah, I, I hope LG doesn't go. I think that's. I, I know some mm. people have kind of, I don't know, radished in it a little bit in a kind of like, well, their phones have been rubbish for years anyway. Like, you know, it's their fault for not making a good enough phone or something. And I obviously get, I, I understand the sentiment if they haven't made anything you've wanted to buy. But in general, m- more competitors is good for the industry. Um, you know, any, any oh, company yeah. withdrawing from the market is bad news. If LG did drop out, who would take the weird phone crown or who would have to take over the mantle of making the weirdest phones, do you think? Motorola. From the bigger brands. They're already doing who? it. Motorola. Well, they're already doing it. The budget stuff. They've got the one macro and, and the one... Ev- That's true. Everything. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They're yeah. like, just, just crank <laughs> that out to the next features. level. Yeah. <laughs> and they, they did do a modular thing as well. They did one of their flagships as modular like three or four years back. Mm. Mm. And they had Project Aura as well, which is like a whole thing. Like... Yeah, yeah, fair point. Good choice. Although we've also obviously got <laughs> companies like Oppo and Xiaomi and TCL, a lot of the big Chinese manufacturers that just throw them out as concept products now. But they don't release them. But you know, the the Mimix Alpha yeah. with the wraparound display. Obviously, Oppo's already shown mm, off yes. a rollable. TCL showed off rollable tech stuff like that. Like, but I think there's a bit more of a recognition of uh, Vivo as well doing its Apex concept phones. I think there's a bit more of a recognition of yeah, you just throw that into tech demos and concept phones, and you only make ten of them, and um, you don't bother yeah. shipping it because that. that makes more sense uh that will be ours for this week thank you for everyone who's been watching or listening uh we will be back next week for episode 50 which is kind of weird i don't know i feel like we should do something to mark the occasion so if you have any suggestions jump in the comments and let us know what we should be doing to celebrate episode 50 beyond just getting blind drunk on the show or something um every time dom's camera turns oh, exactly off. yeah <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> we'll be talking about the honor v40 i hope unless it gets delayed for the third time or something in in theory there will be a new honor phone to discuss next week and we'll know if it has google or not uh beyond that i i don't know what we've got to look forward to over the next seven days but we will keep an eye out uh so yeah thank you everyone bye thanks guys bye see ya